0: He's All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Uh, We will be talking mostly sports today, like always, starting with the NFL Conference Championship games and the look ahead to Super Bowl 54 as the Kansas City Chiefs are set to take on Ben's San Francisco 49ers.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Um, 49ers one of the most bipolar teams of the last decade, um, making another appearance in the Super Bowl after years of being uh, hopelessly bad. Uh, So I'm stoked. I'm absolutely stoked to be able to talk about my team uh, coming up in the most important football game of the year. So we'll also be
0: uh, going through a final take segment, a, a new segment that we'll be introducing where we'll be talking about a bunch of different topics from Derek Jeter being one vote shy of a unanimous bid to the Baseball Hall of Fame, as well as Zion Williamson's NBA debut very long awaited for the New Orleans Pelicans, and Eli Manning's announcement Uh, or at least his pre-announcement of his retirement announcement that will be coming later this week. We'll also have trivia and five questions to close out the show, but let's start from the top and let's start with the NFL and you know, Ben apologies. We'll get to the Niners eventually, but let's start with the game that started first, the AFC championship game as the Kansas City Chiefs knock off the Tennessee Titans 35 to 24 after falling just short last season Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid and company get where they wanted to be in a place where a lot of people think they could be for many years to come and that is the Super Bowl despite falling behind once again 10 nothing 17 to 7 the game really never felt like it was in doubt
1: yeah I mean the Titans came out uh you know with A lot of momentum they they started the game uh, they came out of the gate well you know it made it feel like they had a chance early um but once the Chiefs got rolling they just had way too much firepower for uh the Tennessee Titans
2: I give a lot of credit to Casey for getting the win though still um with how last week played out with Houston basically just imploding but against a tough smart team like Tennessee uh Casey had to really come back in that game and um yeah they're Their their offense is still really fun to watch, really explosive, and uh, Mahomes with his mobility rushing out of the pocket is now a big factor.
1: Let well, let's talk about the Mahomes run Uh, that that long run uh, that he you know came out he got out of the pocket, eyes up down the field, wasn't looking to run but had no options, decided to take off shakes a few tackles off and scores a touchdown epic quarterback uh, move uh, he's the next Lamar Jackson uh, except I don't I don't actually think that um, I was actually appalled at the defensive call for that play and at the abomination that they referred to as their tackling attempts on that play um, but Mahomes definitely should not have been able to score he shouldn't have even gotten past the line of scrimmage if you notice on that play the Titans were, ru- were only pass rushing with three players When you pass rush with three players against Mahomes, you're just asking to get beat. I'm sorry. That's a terrible choice. You're giving him way too much time, and he's going to use his arm. In this case, the coverage held up to an extent. All they had to do was make sure the spy didn't let Mahomes escape, except the spy totally whiffed on the tackle and let Mahomes have a free run down the sidelines. The last two defenders, whoever DBs they were, tried to get the strip, did not even attempt to tackle Patrick Mahomes, and he easily made his way into the end zone.
0: Yeah, when I watched that play live at first, uh, I, I thought it was pretty remarkable that he was able to score a touchdown on that. Just as it kinda of felt like out of nowhere, you know, like he said, he escapes from the pocket, breaks some tackles, goes toward the goal line, dives, throws himself in the end zone eleven seconds to go. The Chiefs are now going into halftime with the lead and they're never never gonna look back. But when I watched yeah, when I watched a replay I was like, yeah, I had the same kind of thoughts of Ben, like, oh, there was this really bad defense for the Titans. You know, He didn't even have to put in that much effort to be able to pull out this touchdown just because of how how poor of a tackling job the Titans did, how they gave him so much room to run, and by the time he got down to the goal line, they still had a chance to stop him. So um, I, I agree. I, mean, I thought Jim Nance was kind of uh, overdoing it with the whole, like, oh, is this Lamar Jackson out there? But At the same time, Patrick Mahomes is a dual-threat type quarterback. And I think a lot of guys that you're seeing coming out these days are built in that mold where even though they are prolific passers, they can move outside the pocket. They can pick up yards when they need to on their own. And I think it was just a classic example of Patrick Mahomes making a play when there wasn't anything there. And, you know, the Titans kind of gave him a gimme touchdown. And it was still a great football play, a great decision on his part to take off. And uh, he he put himself on the line in the open field. And uh, the, the Titans just weren't able to take him down before he scored.
1: Yeah, and no disrespect to Mahomes. It's still a great play. I mean, the the way that he kind of... He just did a head fake to juke the spy, but it worked. You know, it, it was a horrible tackle attempt, but Mahomes still had a hand in making sure that he got out of there. Um, so no disrespect to him, but if if you're the defensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, you've got to be, you know, steaming after the the tackling attempts that the your players put out on the field because... That was not going to get a, a full-grown man like Mahomes down. I still give the Titans a lot of credit for how they performed
2: in the playoffs. I didn't take them seriously enough uh, from Wild Card weekend on. They showed up versus the Patriots and the Ravens. And they even made it a game versus KC for the most part. But KC's explosive offense was just too much, and they were outmatched. And, but still, I give a lot of credit to t- the Titans, Mike Vrabel, and Derrick Henry in the the running game. Uh, It was impressive.
0: The Titans were a lot more competitive in this game than I expected them to be. It really helped jumping out to that early lead, but. There were times at first where you're like, okay, you know, Kansas City is going to figure this out eventually, but it took them kind of a while. And a lot of that was because Tennessee went on this really long 75 yard. I think it was 15 plays in nine minute touchdown drive that killed most of the second quarter should have been like his kind of backbreaking type touchdown be like, all right, the Kansas City is going to have to put in some work for this one. And no, they still were able to go down the field and score in like two minutes and then they they managed to pull out another touchdown that that Mahomes touchdown run right before the half. So I think at that point Kansas City just started to gain so much momentum heading into the locker room. Uh, but Tennessee they they did give him a fight for the first you know quarter and a half of this one.
1: Right. Well, and once you get down, uh, especially against a team like Kansas City, like you as much as you want to give the ball to Derrick Henry on every play, like it they kind of force your hand into dropping back to pass and. Um, it's tough to put a guy like Tannehill up against the likes of Mahomes and all the weapons he has. You know, Once once you give up that lead, uh, Kansas City's game plan really works for them.
2: One thing to know about the Titans, even though Ryan Tannehill was one of the biggest reasons for the Titans' turnaround this season, he was also probably the biggest weakness on their team in the postseason, and that's something that I would uh, look at in the offseason if I were the Titans, and maybe instead of bring bringing back Tannehill, maybe bring in another replacement, whether that's maybe Tom Brady or who— or Teddy Bridgewater or whomever, uh, I mean the Patriots and Titans in their AFC Championship games versus the Chiefs the past couple, you know past season and this past Sunday they were both up seventeen to seven, but the Patriots were still able to pull it out with how great they were offensively, but the Titans were just very limited offensively given given that Tannehill just wasn't at his best.
1: I
0: I agree that this postseason should maybe have the Titans a little hesitant to pay Tannehill a huge amount of money, but he was such a drastic improvement over Marcus Mariota. At the very least, I think they got a franchise tag him and try to see what he can do in another year. Uh, I don't know if they want to get themselves in like a Kirk Cousins situation with the Redskins or they keep giving him these one-year deals until they have to just inevitably let him go, but uh, I wouldn't be totally ready to give up on Tannehill just because of the playoffs. I think he did a great job of just being a solid game manager. He didn't have to do much for the Titans with that running game, and you know the the Chiefs did a good job of slowing down Henry. Uh, it's as much as we can attribute a bit of the the late game plan. Still, 19 carries and he only gained 69 yards. Tannehill actually threw for 200 in this game. It wasn't like the other two where he couldn't even crack t- triple digits. So. Um, I, I do think that, that Tannehill it's it's a little premature to say that he's like the future of this franchise, that he's a savior in Nashville, and they could maybe stand to upgrade him at some point. I just don't know if this free agent market is the time to do it and that uh they would be better off if you know, finding their next successor via the draft and hoping that it works out better than the original Mariota draft pick.
1: I do have to give credit where credit's due, also for the Titans, the what felt like a really obvious fake punt late in the game ended up working beautifully.
0: Oh yeah, I think everyone saw that coming, and yeah, somehow except they, the Chiefs yeah, somehow. Right?
1: Um, but you know, credit to the Titans for not just like curling up in a ball and giving up. Because even with that fourth down um, conversion, they still were in deeply in trouble. Um, but that fighting spirit—I mean, they tried at least. I got to give them that. They were a great story for this postseason, and um, as much as it's it's tough for them to go out. Uh, like this, uh, they they really did something memorable.
0: Yeah, I mean the the Titans knocked off the Patriots and the Ravens in the same postseason. In my book, they, they're the AFC champions. You know, I, <laughs> I, I I said this on Sunday to to Ben, but I'll I'll repeat it here. I will happily take one of those uh, Tennessee Titans AFC championship shirts that they're about to send to third world countries you know, on, <laughs> on the way. So. All right, uh, with that, let's move on to the NFC Championship game. San Francisco 49ers, after being near the bottom of the league for the past few seasons, pulled off one of the most remarkable single-season turnarounds we've seen in a while as they are now headed to Super Bowl 54 as champions of the NFC. And for the second week in a row, they showed up and they made a team that, was considered one of the best in their conference look like they couldn't even compete with them as uh, the 49ers really did a did a number on the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers.
1: Yeah, I hosted a viewing party for the championship games and this being the second one. I was a few drinks in when it started and I was really nervous, you know, got a lot on the line here. I'm a big time Niners fan. Uh, when I went back to review this game I was like oh yeah we were up 27 nothing and half like why was I so worried yeah <laughs> I mean with Aaron Rodgers it, it feels like you never really count him out um but the the run game was just historically good um in this game so good that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to throw very much which led to these bogus narratives that I've been hearing Ever since the game ended, that like has Kyle Shanahan been hiding his like true weakness all postseason? Like, is Jimmy Garoppolo like the worst player on the Niners? And like, is he going to be truly exposed in the Super Bowl when the Niners can't run it forty six times? And and Jimmy's actually like supposed to play quarterback? It's not a narrative that I think has any merit to it. I
2: mean, I've been critical of Jimmy G, for good part of this season but it's kind of unfair to criticize him when he didn't need to throw in this game he only they like like you said their running game had what over 200 rushing yards that's a credit to the mustard and, R- and, R- and R- Touch- Raheem
1: Mostert C- had 220 yards by himself and he's uh, broke the uh, single game rushing record for the 49ers franchise so like nobody's run it like he did you know it's like when that when you've got that going for you why change it up I don't understand why Green Bay didn't sell out to stop
2: the run. We saw in the KC Tennessee game, uh they had to the, the Kansas City had to do whatever they could to stop Henry. I don't know why the Packers couldn't do the same when Mozart's running all over them.
0: Well, to what extent is it that the Packers defense is also extremely overrated and that you know it's just a matchup that didn't bode well for them. We saw the 49ers just destroy them the last time and they were able to pull off the upset again in you know i know the final score was closer because the packers scored a couple scores late but i think it's just a game where the the 49ers and the packers even though what they both went 13 and 3 the 49ers were significantly better than a green bay team that uh, was able to beat up on rookie quarterbacks down the stretch guys who aren't teams that aren't very good and barely beat them and san francisco was beating up on bad teams all season long and i think this is a case where it was just the 49ers were able to do what they want because they were the better team, and Green Bay just couldn't stop them if they tried to.
1: And I really think it boils down to the 49ers' D-line against Aaron Rodgers. Just, and they were... Yeah, go ahead. No,
2: I was just going to say the same thing, that like even though uh, the, the Packers' run defense couldn't, couldn't stop a nosebleed, I think a lot of the blame still also has to go to Aaron Rodgers in those two turnovers at the end of the first half. It really cost them, and they were already down 27 nothing at the end of the first half.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and this is the same situation that the 49ers had the first time they played the Packers. The D-line just absolutely ate. Aaron Rodgers is running scared the whole time. And that's not to say that Aaron Rodgers is some sort of coward. His fear was very logical. The 49ers D-line was getting through consistently. Um, and that was a game, I believe, without D Ford. So this, the the D-line was even stronger now and it worked again. Aaron Rodgers had to work so hard just to find time to get the ball out and uh the 49ers D-line, the strength of the defense came through uh in you know in, in an important game. If you look at their first matchup, Green Bay was coming off a bye
2: and the Niners didn't have Joe Staley, uh Quan Alexander or D Ford. Like and and we're supposed to expect that the Packers are actually just going to magically turn it around against more of more of the Niners starters uh, on their team, I didn't I, I didn't expect them to win at all.
0: Now and Ben, you've been talking about it all, all year long. Five first rounders on that 49ers defensive line. All these guys that you bring them all together, that's a recipe for success on any defense. And if you look at the the linebacking core and the defensive backs, there are some notable names in there, like Quan Alexander who he's just barely recovered from a torn pack. You have Richard Sherman who uh, really put on a remarkable season after uh, some injury plagued ones and uh, a disappointing end to a Seahawks career. But there are a lot of guys that I can't even name them, like Jacquawski Tart. Is that his name?
1: Uh, yes. I've heard it pronounced multiple ways. Uh, that seems to be the one you know, that's closest to that was that
0: it. True. Trey Greenlaw was the guy who uh, I know he Greenlaw made the big Dre exactly. Greenlaw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mosley, I don't even know what his first name is. they have, they have all these other names back there and all these Emmanuel guys Moseley. Emmanuel Mosley. He had a big interception in the game. You know, these are all guys that have been able to benefit from this overpowering defensive line. And you know, for the 49ers, if you can be able to beat a team by only sending three, four guys and be able to result in sacks, your defense is going to be in a much better shape when you have all those guys back in coverage, especially against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs and a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, do you guys want to go ahead and take a look forward at the their yeah, Super Bowl match? No, unless
0: you have any more comments on this game, why not jump right into it?
1: Well, I, I did want to just like the Richard Sherman pick. I thought was just like an interesting. Uh, you know, thing to happen in an NFC championship for the 49ers. Like, um, it didn't necessarily ice the game in the sense that it, like in the same way that it did um, back in the 2013 NFC championship, but uh, it still was sort of cathartic to, you know, have Richard Sherman pull off a play like that late in an NFC championship. But this time we're cheering about it uh, instead of totally having our world crumble before us. (laughs) So I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, I honestly didn't even think about that because, I mean, that, that was such a huge moment. That was, that was really the transition of the 49ers handing off their NFC reign to the Seahawks, even though, you know, Seattle, they had the two Super Bowl appearances and it didn't last too much beyond that. But it, it was still that was that was when the 49ers started to fall downhill and to kind of have them get back to the ultimate glory because of Richard Sherman, of all people, helping the team. That, that is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, so. on to, but on to the Super Bowl. And one of the things that, uh, while we were talking about it, um, I really think it's going to be a pivotal matchup in this game is going to be the 49ers D-line versus Patrick Mahomes. Um, because if Patrick Mahomes has time back there, he'll torch this secondary. Uh, we have some good players, but he does things that nobody else can do. Um, and if But we've seen this 49ers D-line shut down great players, like, for instance, Aaron Rodgers, um, who can normally do their work against any defense but when you just blow through their O line uh it forces them to make changes that sometimes don't work out for the best so um for me that's like the key matchup in this up in this upcoming super bowl
2: yeah best offense first best defense like you said and one one other storyline i'm looking at uh in this game is can the chiefs get off to better starts than compared to the ones uh, versus Houston and Tennessee where they're down 24 nothing after one quarter, they're down 17 to 7. And if they do start slow again, can they come back versus a defense like this? Uh, that is, will be a question if if they were to go down.
1: Well, yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because Kyle Shanahan, especially in the Super Bowl, you know, he's almost famous for like botching the lead, right? Like nobody has done a more iconic, uh, you know, mismanagement of a proper lead uh, than Kyle Shanahan and the Falcons uh, in the Super Bowl. And throwing on second and, down. Right, exactly. And, um, it's an interesting phenomenon I've, I listened to uh, some 49ers podcasts as well and there's this term that the fourth and gold podcast came up with called like disrespectful Kyle and it's been it's something they've pointed out all through the season where uh, it's a chance for him to like rest on his laurels or like just enjoy the lead in a game uh, but instead he steps on the neck and and really Continues uh, to score and keep like a giant lead in a case where in the past you might think he would uh, let the other team back into it. Like for instance, it happened. They called it. it, it you know, in this last game, the Niners were up twenty-seven nothing. The Packers score in the third quarter, and then Kyle Shanahan turns around immediately uh, leads another touchdown drive, up thirty-four to seven. And at that point, the game looks pretty out of hand. Um, I'm looking for if the Niners jump out to a big lead for Kyle Shanahan to do everything in his power to redeem himself from the last time he was here.
2: Well, all he he has to do is not throw. And, I mean, they have a $100 million handsome handoff machine as their quarterback, so they won't have to worry about that.
0: I I can't imagine a scenario after last week's game where Kyle Shanahan would be throwing the ball with Jimmy with a large lead instead of handing it off to any of his running backs. But um, this is a, a huge redemption game because, of course, you have Kyle Shanahan who... You know, as as much as he's trying to establish himself with the Forty ers him back in the Super Bowl, it's the one thing that is really going to be brought up again, is the you know what happened with the Atlanta Falcons, and then on the flip side, Andy Reid, he's a guy who his whole career has been a oh really talented coach, does a lot of great things in the regular season, but he chokes in big moments. He can't win big games. I think he's a Hall of Fame caliber coach, as is, but winning a Super Bowl would be huge for him. You know, he's he's a guy who. This is only a second time back. He's been to, I think, seven NFC championship games, five with the Eagles, two with the Chiefs, and this is only yeah, a second. And one Super Bowl well appearance.
2: appearance with the Eagles.
0: Yeah. So now one with the Chiefs. So yeah, it's absolutely a huge game for him as well. And he finds himself on this big stage. The idea with the Chiefs is that okay, you have a young quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. There could be opportunities to get there again. But Andy Reid isn't a young coach in itself. So um, I, I think that it, this is absolutely a huge game for both head coaches uh, for you know, very very different reasons. One who's looking to you know, try Redeem to himself. break a long career of disappointment and the other Kyle Shanahan who doesn't want to become like the next Andy Reid, a guy who always loses the big game. So um, I think there are a lot of storylines that are going to be a huge part of this game. So uh, one that uh, a lot of people are going to talk about is the the quarterback connection. So I think that the two big ones that everyone talks about, Joe Montana, of course, 49ers legend, one of the greatest ever, played his final two seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs. And then more recently, Alex Smith, who uh, after losing a starting job to Colin Kaepernick was traded to the... Kansas City Chiefs where he was their starting quarterback up until Patrick Mahomes Uh, I I actually did my research so it's not just those two guys so the 49ers the chief quarterback connection actually goes back to Steve DeBerg who was a 49ers quarterback from 1977 to 1980 and he was a quarterback during the shift to Joe Montana in that 1980 season and then after that the 49ers decided to go with Montana And DeBerg eventually finds himself as a Chiefs quarterback from 88 to 91. Well, after the 1991 season and 1992, the Chiefs roll with a quarterback named Dave Krieg, who actually got them to the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. But he uh oh sorry deburr got some of the playoffs and back-to-back seasons then creed gets him in for the third year in a row but they lose 17 to nothing in a wild card round so they're like all right we need to get a different guy so they trade for joe montana who leads the chiefs of the 1993 afc championship game he's back there in 94 montana retires and now steve bono who was a 49ers quarterback from 89 to 93 now he's the chiefs quarterback from 94 to 96 that's now three quarterbacks in a row, essentially, that were former 49ers that go to the Chiefs. So after a few years with the Chiefs, uh, the they move on to Elvis Gerback, who was a 49ers quarterback from 94 to 96. He's now the Chiefs quarterback in 97 in her place of Bono until 2000. And then eventually, you know, Smith goes from the 49ers to the Chiefs in 2012 to 2013. So that's five quarterbacks who have gone from the 49ers to the Chiefs. I
1: think that's something that uh, you're going to be seeing a lot. So a long time ago, when Alex Smith got traded to the Chiefs, um, it was still, uh, you know, I I was only like a really committed football fan for a few years at that point, and I was like, oh, good, now I can be a Chiefs fan too. Like I love Alex Smith so much, I'll root for the Chiefs. Didn't even last like one game. I was like, no, I don't love the Chiefs. I love only yeah. the 49ers, In um, that, and I still feel that way going into the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever actually told you this, but. Did you know that I was a 49ers fan the last time they played in the Super Bowl? Like, an actual 49ers fan?
1: Uh, I feel like I heard something about your past, about being intertwined with the 49ers, but I don't think I yeah. knew you were actually a fan.
0: So, I was drafted by them in Madden 2006 to play quarterback, and... um I don't remember exactly how many seasons I played, but I won like three or four straight Super Bowls. And during that time um, on Madden, that was before they made it. So you only control your singular player. So not only was I playing quarterback, you know, passing the ball, handing it off, but then I'd still get to take over as you know, Kevin Barlow, Brandon Lloyd and the defense and the special team. So I got to become like really immersed in the San Francisco 49ers. And I was a huge fan of them for a while. So during those three years where they made it to the NFC Championship game, I, I was actually rooting for the 49ers as like my my second team. Um, I think when the Steelers kind of got back to being good again in 2014, which I think was just coincidental when I met you, another 49ers fan, <laughs> uh, I, I saw it being a, as big of a fan of them. But yeah, I definitely had a big 49ers connection. So as much as I didn't want the Ravens to win that Super Bowl, I was rooting for the 49ers.
1: Cool. I'm huh. always willing to bring others along with me. I'm such a big Niners yeah. fan. Uh, there's people in my life who are not necessarily like have any connection to the Niners who like rep them or like own a piece of 49ers swag, uh, just because I'm so loud about my how much of a fan I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely one of your defining characteristics at this point. And I I was rocking the Debo Samuel jersey during your viewing party uh, very proudly when you guys took that
2: picture uh all all you guys together in Niners jerseys was that after the game or after the first quarter when the game was already
1: in hand it was during the first quarter we meant to take it before (laughs) but when you got a bunch of drunk people in your apartment like taking photos can be a whole fiasco I'm surprised that photo came out so good honestly (laughs) yeah
0: yeah there, there's a lot more effort into that than you uh, you would think.
1: If you want to see the photo we're talking about, check out my Instagram at Benjamin Carlson with no O between the S and the N. at Benjamin Carlson.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, it, with this Super Bowl with, with Chiefs 49ers, I can honestly say that this is the first Super Bowl of my time as a true NFL fan where I genuinely don't care who wins uh, because every super bowl before this has either had the patriots who I was rooting against or the steelers Peyton Manning or you know the 49ers who I was rooting for uh, and yeah, I guess the closest was in Super Bowl fifty with the Broncos Panthers, where I would have been okay with Carolina winning. I knew a few Panthers fans, but I was rooting for Peyton to to win one before he retired. And you know, as much as I can be like, yeah, Ben Ben's a big Niners fan. Like it would be great for him to get that Super Bowl win. They're they're a fun team to root for. I really like Patrick Mahomes. I, I really like Andy Reid. I think it would be cool if the Chiefs win. So I, I'm already planning on wearing my uh, new hard rock Atlantic City shirt that my mom recently bought me during the super bowl because the game's being played at hard rock stadium miami and that's my way (laughs) of saying i'm rooting for both teams i just want to want a great game um you can wear a rob
2: Lowe hat or it's just nfl too hey well
0: we'll we'll get to that one later that's for sure um in terms of actual like you know looking ahead to this game though so one thing that we we didn't really discuss too much um so we had mentioned that the chiefs slowing down derrick henry in the titans run game i think they're going to have to really be able to do that against the 49ers. As much as we can say, you know, how's is, how is Kyle Shanahan going to handle lead and everything? I think the easiest way for the Chiefs to not find themselves behind is by not letting the 49ers run all over them like they ran over the Packers. And I think from there, Jimmy Garoppolo, six for eight, 77 yards. That's, he almost completed, you know, 10 yards per attempt. Those aren't terrible numbers for a drive. Uh, it's a matter of are we going to be able to see that over an entire game how is he going to perform I'm not ready to dismiss his chances I think the Chiefs pass defense is a lot better this year than they were last year Um, but I I absolutely believe that this is a game that could have its fair share of scoring while still having some, you know, two capable defenses who are able to, uh, you know, maybe maybe force some turnovers and keep the team out of the end zone here and there.
2: I can't imagine the Chiefs being as undisciplined and unprepared as the Packers were giving up 200 plus rushing yards and like 7 yards per carry. And another thing about this matchup, I know I make fun of Jimmy G here and there about not throwing it, but I am one reason why I love this matchup is because it's Jimmy G's biggest game of his career and uh, he's probably gonna be relied on a
1: lot more to to throw in this game if they want to beat the Chiefs. Definitely. And here's another thing. like depending on how much you believe in like the mystic of Kyle Shanahan, what I'm about to say may sound ludicrous to you, but I think Kyle Shanahan was purposely hiding plays. Uh, from the Chiefs or whoever was going to win the AFC by running it all game long against the Packers. Now, if you sit there and you're like, well, time to stop the 49ers defense. All we have to do is commit to the to the run uh, and we'll be fine. You're wrong. The 49ers have a, a very creative pass game that Jimmy has been able to run all season long. In games where we've had to rely on him and haven't had a run game, Jimmy has had some big games. He's got four Fourth quarter comebacks uh, in, the, in the regular season. And that's as nobody has more than that this year. So he can be relied on in crunch time. And against a team like the Chiefs, it might come down to a game winning drive by Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that the 49ers have, uh, are prepared for that. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is prepared for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that win over the Saints back in December is full proof of what Jimmy Garoppolo is capable of doing and what the, this 49ers offense can do to you because that, that was the game of his career to be able to go into the Superdome against a veteran quarterback like Drew Brees and win in a shootout, 48-46, to 46, in which he led them on a game-winning drive with less than a minute ago that ended in a, a short field goal to win the game. Um, I don't know if this game will be that high-scoring, but if it does get to the point where it's going to come down to just keeping up with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense, I think Jimmy can, to an extent, do that.
1: But so, and, but to go back, to go back to like the the fact that they're like not showing any plays. Like I truly believe that Kyle Shanahan has some of those like you know wizard play calls that he's going to use in the Super Bowl because now he's not preparing for the next opponent anymore. It's been something that, you know, people claim he's been doing all year. He's like, oh, he's setting, he's doing this play this week so that next week he can run the same formation. But this time it's a a pitch like to Debo Samuel, who you never would think would end up as the ball player on this play, right? Like that kind of thing. Now it's the Super Bowl. No more hiding your cards. He can play everything he's got. And I think that that is going to lead to some big plays uh, from Jimmy.
2: And if they're going to have to rely on Garoppolo more, they're also going to have to rely on George Kittle more, the best tight end in the
1: game, not Travis Chelsea. That's Kelsey. right. The tight end bowl we've got here to see who's truly the best.
0: And we also got a big fullback bowl with uh, Kyle Juszczyk and Anthony Sherman.
1: So, I mean, that, and and the Sherman There's a lot bowl. of
2: guys. Anthony Sherman versus Richard Sherman. <laughs> oh, and
1: versus Richard Sherman. Sure. Yeah. And it's also the red football team bowl because they're both red um <laughs> uh, yeah I, i'm I'm
2: predicting the the team the red team that joe
1: montana played for is going to win this game oh dang both chiefs are them. wearing
0: red so oh <laughs> um. that's true yeah the
1: niners people were saying the niners should try to wear the throwback whites like the all-white unis that yeah that you know. they
0: wore the last time they were in the super bowl in miami in 94
1: Oh, right, yeah, so, and would have been cool because, honestly, a lot of people are saying we should make those our permanent whites, but um, they yeah, said they're going to exactly. go with the,
0: said, the normal away jersey. Mm, all right, well, um, I guess uh, just uh, one last thought before we wrap this up. So before the season started, I know I didn't officially say it on here before the season. I think I've mentioned it at times, but my preseason Super Bowl prediction was the Chiefs versus the Bears. And you know, while I totally nailed one of those, I, I felt really horrible about myself for thinking that Mitch Trubisky was possible to, to lead that Chicago Bears team to a Super Bowl this year. Well, all 37 points scored by the 49ers in the NFC Championship game uh, were by Robbie Gould and Raheem Mostert, two former Bears. So I'm going to give myself credit for that one. Chiefs versus Bears Super Bowl. Oh, brother. I I
1: nailed that. That's not even remotely. Raheem Mostert never took a snap for the Bears. He was just on their team. Practice squad only. uh, God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Let's do some trivia. So, Ben, you actually have a question for us. So we're going to have questions related to the 49ers and the Chiefs Super Bowl history. So why don't you get started with... uh, Obviously a question about the Niners.
1: That's right. Um 49ers Super Bowl trivia question uh coming at you guys. I'll be impressed if if you guys know this. So Joe Montana always showed poise under pressure so much that he earned the nickname Joe Cool. in Super Bowl XXIII. I'm terrible at uh <laughs> 23. 23. 23 um against the Cincinnati Bengals, trailing sixteen to thirteen with Three minutes and 20 seconds left in the game, the 49ers had the ball on their own eight-yard line. Sensing that many of his teammates were tense, Joe saw an opportunity to calm them uh, by humorously pointing out uh, a celebrity in the stands. Look, Joe said, isn't that blank? Who was Joe Montana pointing at? I feel like I've heard this story before. And Yeah, you... You may have because this is like the moment that Joe Montana became Joe Cool. This story has been echoed through the the, the halls of 49ers legend uh, ever since.
0: What, so, wait, what year was this? Eighty one against the Bengals, the first.
2: Yes, Super the Bowl? first
0: one. Okay, yeah.
2: male or cool. female?
1: Uh, d- am I supposed to give clues? Yeah, g- 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 uh, you, you, can, down a you can give hints. You okay, can give okay. hints to what extent you want? To. Sure, sure. Okay, um, male.
0: Okay, so that wipes out half the population. Exactly. Very good. Um,
1: <laughs> Initials. Yeah, I, I don't... Do you want me to... No,
0: you don't need to go that far. All right.
1: I could go another step just to kind of narrow down what type of celebrity.
0: Yeah, I like that idea. Okay, actor. Actor. Okay, male actor probably would have been my guess if you had to, to give me that, so I don't know how much that helps. Denzel Washington.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no
0: oh man uh
1: do you want me to name some movies oh yeah
0: yeah sure that might help hopefully
1: it might not but it uh, okay i'll just give you some movies that this male actor is definitely in cool runnings home alone Joe Pesci Daniel Stern nope nope
0: Macaulay Donald Trump (laughs) oh wait is it Trump
1: it's not Trump because oh. he wasn't the second one. <laughs> I wouldn't have said actor for that uh, for Trump. Uh, I thought that'd be a trick question. <laughs> yeah. I still right, okay. Final hint. I, final hint. Because none of those okay. movies are the movie that this male actor is known the most for. The 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 role that this male actor is known best for uh, is his role in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles.
2: Oh, uh, John Candy.
1: John Candy is correct. Well done, Brian. You got my trivia question right. Oh boy. I would have never guessed that. Yeah, he had kind of minor roles in those other movies, but Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is Was John it actually like, John mess. Candy at the Super Bowl? It was. He was it in was. the... Yeah, okay. he was... Uh, yeah, and Home I'm Alone, he, not... was,
2: he was the leader of the Polka Kings or, or whatever that yeah. name was. <laughs>
1: Polka, yeah, so you Polka. remember now. Yeah. Yeah, but I this is such a cool story uh, because you know the Super Bowl on the line, all the Forty Nine ers are like getting together, like we have to win the game now. And this is Joe Montana before he was Joe Montana, right? This was the guy they didn't know that he was going to win four Super Bowls, and he's just like, "Look, isn't that John Candy?" (laughs) All right, and they did go on to win.
0: Yeah, that's a good trivia question. I think that's something that I'll remember moving forward. Um, so my, my, my trivia question is uh, about the Chiefs. So what future Hall of Fame quarterback won Super Bowl MVP the last time the Kansas City Chiefs played in the big game way back in Super Bowl Four on January eleventh, 1970?
2: I have, I have no so idea. I will <laughs> say that
0: this was an answer that I knew before asking this question. Um, so it's not just some like random thing that I looked up.
1: Say say the question one more time.
0: So Super Bowl MVP, the last time the Chiefs were in the big game, Super Bowl four in nineteen nineteen sixty nine AFL NFL Championship game It was against the Minnesota Vikings. Not that that helps punch, but so he is a a Hall of Famer.
1: Is it Len Dawson?
0: It is Len Dawson. Yeah. All right then. <laughs>
1: I don't know why I could remember. He's not the guy who was smoking a cigarette. Yeah, he was. That was that was Dawson? actually gonna be one of my hints. Yeah, okay, Len that, that's so why was, I know his name because that yeah. picture is iconic.
0: Oh, I know, very iconic picture. I mean, that that's the biggest reason why I know his name too. So Len Dawson at Super Bowl one was actually smoking a cigarette. Uh, I, I I've heard in at halftime and I've also heard after the game. I don't know which one is true, but yeah. And uh, that was, that was one of his ways of relieving stress after uh, a 35 to 10 beating against Packers. But he got himself a, a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess I can't say revenge against the Vikings, but he, he did ultimately accomplish that main goal of uh, being a Super Bowl champion as he went 12 for 17, 142 yards, touchdown and a pick 90.8 rating. Not flashy numbers, but enough to beat the Vikings 23-7, to with that one touchdown being a 46-yard touchdown pass to wide receiver Otis Taylor. All right, so with that, let's move on. Uh, no no more you know, at least Super Bowl talk, but uh, we're going to do our, our final take segment, uh, which we're actually going to do before five questions, so maybe not our true final takes, but uh, this is just a... a uh, bunch of different topics that have uh, gone on or will be happening and let's start off by talking about the Houston Astros again because that that scandal was something that we talked about last time with uh, the Astros being you know proven to have cheated in the 2017 regular season and postseason that ultimately ended in them winning a World Series we talked about the fallout with uh, their manager and general manager both being fired well three days later Astros uh, were accused of using buzzers you know, in the 2019 postseason so beyond just what they did in 2017 to signal where the pitch was coming from and the internet just exploded after that
2: I can't back this up with any hardcore evidence but if you go back to game 6 versus the Yankees and when Altuve hits that home run and he's trying the bases he's telling all of the players to don't rip my shirt off, don't rip my shirt off and then, when he gets interviewed by Ken Rosenthal, and he asks him why did you not want them to rip your shirt off, he has to say, "Can you repeat that again?" And I bet that was because it's not because he didn't hear what he said. I bet it's because he was trying to think of a time. good lie. Trying
0: to think of an answer. Right? Yeah. He
2: had to think. Of, he needed some time to think of a good lie. And then he says, "Oh, it's because uh, uh, my my wife didn't didn't like it the last time," and which I don't think is a great reason. So I'm I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if it's a if it's actually true that they use buzzers.
0: Oh, I absolutely believe it. I mean, the, the fact that they were already known to have been cheating and the fact that it was said that it was going on long past Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran leaving the team after 2017, at least into the 2018 season, I find it totally credible that Houston just came up with different ways to do it. And if, that's, if that is all true, then there's just so much illegitimacy to what they've accomplished, and they absolutely deserve to have some kind of repercussions as players. And I I just... I don't know, Rob Manfred came out and said, Yeah, we, we looked into this and didn't find anything. Why why did you look into that? You had no reason to look into that until afterwards. So they're just going out of their way to protect these players. And it's just it's one of those crazy conspiracy theories that you can maybe say, Yeah, this is definitely isn't true. But there's just so much info out there that's been going around with like all these multiple sources saying these things. You had the the uh Carlos Beltrons niece's burner account that was going around whether that was like an actual MLB player like a former Astro who had all these connections and I they're, they're just so much that I absolutely believe that if if the players were involved in the first game they deserve punishment they absolutely do now and, and to me if, if this is all true like you're always gonna uh, look at guys like Jose Altuve and Alex Spragman and just question what they've been able to accomplish because Altuve won MVP and you know, he hit that big walk-off home run how much of that was was tainted so um you know i i I don't know to what extent we're gonna find out more about this but uh it's definitely been a a big big news story that doesn't really feel like it's going away and i I wouldn't be surprised if more comes out of it uh, maybe even involving more teams than we realized in the the coming you know weeks and months so singing with baseball next topic Derek jeter And Larry Walker were both uh, nominated to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame yesterday uh, at the time of recording. And Derek Jeter was thought to potentially get in unanimously, but he finished one vote shy, receiving 396 out of 397 positive votes across the ballots. And I got to say, I love the person I didn't vote well, for him. Okay, Thank now,
1: you. hold on, hold on, hold on. For, for those of us who have never voted uh, in the Hall of Fame selection before, um, do you have a certain amount of votes you're allowed to give out, or is it more of a yes-no on each individual player nominated? Yeah,
0: so you are allowed to give out 10 votes. Okay, so so ten
1: votes across. I think there were like
0: twenty ish, twenty five names. Okay, on the so ballot. the
1: person who said no t- wasn't necessarily explicitly saying Derek Jeter didn't have a good enough career to land in the Hall of Fame. They were saying there's ten other people that I deem more eligible. Well, this we actually
2: year. don't know that because they don't even release the like who who was the person that didn't vote for Derek. Yeah, Jeter? Yeah,
1: no one knows.
0: Um, well, right. right. It I doesn't don't matter know. who they're, they are,
1: but whoever they were, yeah. their yeah. their thought process wasn't. Jer- Derek Jeter isn't good enough for the the Hall. It's that my votes were better to use on others than Derek. No, Jeter you, can, because you can. They're vote, all better than Derek Jeter.
2: You can vote as
1: potentially, many,
0: but you can vote well, I mean, as many players
2: as you want. No, you, you don't can need vote to up 10. to ten,
1: but you don't need to vote the uh, full. You can
2: just pick okay, one or two. Yeah. It doesn't matter okay. how many you pick. I mean, yeah. ten being the max, of course. Yes.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, so I guess another thing along the lines of, um, you know, Baseball Hall of Fame voting, last season or last year, Mariano Rivera became the first ever unanimous selection. Now, before that, nobody got in unanimously. There are a lot of guys who have come close. Ken Griffey Jr. was the closest, but even he had three yep. people not vote for him. And there's an argument made with some of these guys. Hey, it's like they're obviously going to get in. Like you said, Ben, I'd better I'm better off giving this guy a vote and giving, increasing his chances. But when guys like Ken Griffey Jr., Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, Cal Rickman Jr., Ty Cobb, George Brett, Hank Aaron, Tony Gwynn, Randy Johnson, like all these guys that came super close, they couldn't quite do it. Why is Derek Jeter the one who should have that honor of being the first position exactly. player? He, he is one of the most overrated players ever. And look, I, I put the number two in respect. He had a remarkable career. Absolutely deserved to be a first ballot, but I do not think unanimous selection was a worthy title of him because he's a guy. He was a product of where he played. He was on some unbelievably remarkable New York Yankee teams, part of those four World Series titles and five year dynasty. And I'm not just like trying to come across as a Yankee hater here, but if you look at his stats and just compared to other players throughout history, there's nothing that he was the best at. He was never zero, really even the best zero when he MVPs. played
2: wasn't was an overrated field, fielder, kind of a media darling. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. His I, career I agree. war is 88th all-time.
2: I agree with everything that, you said. That's
0: like the, the big, yeah. I agree so. with
2: everything you said. I'm not coming off as a Yankee hater either, even though I am. I just, I don't think Derek <laughs> Jeter is a Hall of Famer. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he shouldn't get a unanimous vote if guys like you said, uh, Randy Johnson, Tom Seaver, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. aren't getting unanimous votes. And then it's, it's, still, it's also silly that the one, even though I love Marion Rivera, the one Yankee player that I that I do love, the the one guy to be unanimous is a closer. Uh, that makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay with Rivera just because he was the most dominant player of his position. But Jeter was never really even the most dominant shortstop on his own what team. He, what he played, yeah. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, with with a rod. Yeah,
2: he wasn't even the best shortstop in his own team.
0: Yeah. He's just the captain. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with what happened. I, I love that Yankees fans are upset. Um, uh, and I, I, I wish that more guys didn't do it just to make sure that he wasn't unanimous. So, Hey, that one person that, that, that's all it took. I'm, and I know this
2: is kind of off topic, but I'm, I'm not a fan of, uh, the fact that Larry Walker also got in the hall of fame, uh, just, just a decent, pretty good player, but he's not a hall of fame player. And uh, the the game has already been ruined by the constant analytics and st- sign stealing that's been reported lately. Uh, But the one thing I really did really still do appreciate about baseball is its history and its Hall of Fame. It's personally my favorite Hall of Fame, Uh, given the difficulty to get in. But now it's not with guys like Mike Mussina, Harold Baines, and now Larry Walker getting in. So just my two cents there.
0: So I'm actually pro Larry Walker getting in. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people that try to discredit some of his numbers because of what he did at Coors Field, a notorious hitter's park um, in, in Colorado. But um, he did put up remarkable numbers in Montreal, which uh, that Olympic stadium was the opposite. That was a more of a pitcher's park. And you know it, I think his numbers, when you compare him to a lot of guys in his era when he was at his best, most of the ones who were better were associated with steroids and larry walker didn't have those associations so i think that to me that's one of the big things to get him in i understand he was maybe not this like flashy remarkable type of player and that you know you want the most elite guys in the hall of fame but i think he's someone who kind of deserved to get in just barely at that cutoff i think he only got 76 percent. so plenty of uh writers who didn't agree but his his campaign bid definitely uh increased substantially as the years went on. It's all. not just Larry so.
2: Walker. It's it's him and several other players now that are getting Yeah, it. no, I, I agree. Yeah, fan
0: of, Like, fan of mm-hmm. getting
2: in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, I always say it, it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good. Exactly. So, all right, uh, the next topic. Conor McGregor defeats Cowboy Cerrone in just 40 seconds at UFC 246. Um, so I, I know, you know, Ben, you didn't watch the fight because despite being at a, a cowboy, you know, Western themed bar, they weren't playing cowboy because they didn't want to, uh, you know, pay for ESPN plus or whatever. Brian, did you watch any of the fight? Nope. I did okay. not. Okay, Well, I... I think
1: we all saw the entirety of it on Twitter. Though. Yeah, it was, it was
0: 40 <laughs> seconds. You know, it wasn't hard to look up a video later on and watch it. Um, uh, now I, I'm not a huge Conor McGregor fan. I don't think either of you are as well. Nope. So I I I wasn't necessarily rooting for the guy to win. And to me, I I don't know how how legitimate it was. Like there's there's definitely some conspiracy theories kind of going around that you know El Cowboy just kind of gave in. Just you know, let he was just there to make some money and give uh, Conor another win. Uh, that's why he's able to go down so easy. Um, I, I guess I can't speak to this as a big. F- fighting fan to know how these fights normally end but you know i mean mcgregor was definitely kind of going in on him just kind of punching him at the end but it just kind of felt like uh you know quick and easy like he's he's done he's he just kind of gave himself up so i don't know if you guys are, are subscribing to that
1: I don't know. I don't know enough about fighting to, like, call it one way or the other. I need to listen to, like, someone who knows what they're talking about's opinion on it. I haven't heard... uh, I've heard a lot more, like, conspiracy theories versus, like, you know, bona fide factual evidence that he threw the fight. Um, But at the same time, Conor McGregor is, like, really good at fighting you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could win a match in 40 seconds and it'd be totally legitimate you know Um, Mm -hmm. whether or not it looks that way to the untrained eye um, I think that you know there's perfectly good reason to think that this was a normal fight and Conor McGregor just overpowered him quickly Um, that being said two things first real fight fans don't just watch the main event There's so many other fights that happened before the main event, um, and my friends in real life that actually care about the UFC um, enjoyed the night. You know, it was like having like a a nice, you know, an explosive finish to what was a like a whole long night of fights, Um, as well as this sets up Conor McGregor to have a potentially more satisfying fight in the future, maybe even against Khabib again. That would be a rematch. That now enough people know the rivalry, know these two guys, and it'll be a spectacle if that should happen again in the future. And with the win, Conor McGregor is definitely going to be, I think, up for it. Uh, it, Conor McGregor, I'm I'm with you. I'm not like a huge fan of his personal conduct, but he brings something to the UFC that not, not, not a lot of other fighters bring for me, which is a reason to watch. And I do like sitting down to, like, I know I didn't watch this last one, but at the same time, I kind of didn't even know it was happening until right when it happened. I guarantee you, if he's fighting Khabib, we'll know.
0: Yeah, I mean he's he's still the the highest pay per draw pay per view draw in the UFC, uh, even though he he hasn't been the the same type of elite, always winning guy he was earlier in his career. Um, I would love to see Khabib just beat up McGregor again, but we'll we'll see if we get that one. I think one name that has been thrown out a lot is um, Jorge Masvidal. So I think that might be a more realistic one coming up, uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't think Conor McGregor. I know is going Dana White said soon. that
1: Khabib is the one he wants.
0: Yeah, but I've heard that Khabib said, "Yeah, I don't want to fight him again. I want a real challenger." So I don't know if uh, if that'll change seeing him actually win a fight, but um,
1: I don't know. No, money no, those talks. Those are definitely dude. his we'll thoughts. See. Yeah.
0: Oh, I know. Hey, absolutely. So, all right. Um, next topic. Let's talk some NBA. Zion Williamson, the number one overall pick in the draft, Uh, one of the most exciting young prospects to enter the league in a while, is finally making his long-awaited NBA debut tonight as uh, we're getting ready to record against the San Antonio Spurs. And I am so excited to finally be able to see what this guy can do in actual NBA games, just knowing how much of a star he was in college and how awesome he looked in the preseason.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it as well. I mean, I remember when we did an NBA preview, we had them uh, going into the playoffs, but that was with Zion uh, on the team at the start of the season. But with Zion not coming back until now, that's given the guys like Brandon Ingram especially uh, a chance to be more independent or more uh, of a playmaker himself and getting in those reps. So it'll be interesting to see – what that combination will look like with him, uh, with Zion, and with other
1: guys like Ball, as well. Yeah. As a fan of basketball who hasn't been following the sport for super long, I definitely missed out on like the first few games of LeBron James's career, which he had some pretty you know historic outings. You know, people remember his first time going to Madison Square Garden, like things where it's like a young guy shouldn't be dominating grown men like this, and um, I'm hoping that Zion is a little bit like that in something where it, a, a spectacle that this time I can witness instead of looking it back up, uh, in the history books.
0: Yeah. No, I know. I, I think that, uh, we're, we're definitely going to be lucky to, to be able to witness this guy and the, the hope for Pelicans fans, uh, like me is that he'll actually be able to play there for a long time. And if that means they, the Pelicans need to be cautious with him, you know, the whole like teaching him how to walk again, whatever, uh, they, they described it as, I, I think it's it'll be worth it for potential long-term prospects of having Zion Williamson and guys like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, uh, and whoever else they're able to to bring along in the coming years uh, to form what could be a potentially great team that the Pelicans hope they could build with Anthony Davis, but were unable to. Uh, now that New Orleans is 17-27, and 27, they're I think 12th in the West, three and a half games out of the playoffs, but uh, 538 actually gives them a 60% chance to make the postseason because they actually face the second easiest schedule going forward. So if, if Zion's able to return to health and some of these other guys are able to, Brian, I think our playoff prediction could still come true against seemingly long odds. So, all right, the next uh, discussion point. So Kansas and Kansas state, they, they played a big rivalry game uh, What? What should have been a, you know, uneventful, blowout win for Kansas turned into something more than that in the final seconds. So Kansas State, despite being down twenty-two, one of their players uh, stole the ball from Kansas as they were di- dribbling out the clock. Tried to go down uh, for some easy points on the other end to end the game, but Kansas, uh, they they weren't having that, and uh, they 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 blocked the shot. And uh, all hell broke loose from there. So I guess first off, like, what are, what are your thoughts on like that interaction? Are you okay with the way that you know Kansas State and Kansas, just in terms of the basketball play of the final seconds?
2: I mean, play to the final whistle, sure, but it the the block at the end with less than what a couple of seconds left on the clock did seem a little excessive. Um, so so maybe I I can see why both teams would be or Kansas State would be very frustrated on uh, how that ended.
1: Um, I, You know, I've, I've only played a handful of actual organized basketball games, but I was under the impression that if the team that's leading by an insurmountable amount in the waning seconds decides to spare you from another defensive possession, like where they're not going to try to score on you, then they're kind of doing you a favor. Um, and to deny that and instead try to, like, you know, deny that kindness and to try to score some points there. You, you know what? That's totally fine. But if you get packed out of this world, you asked for it. So it's, you can only blame yourself uh, if you're the one on the receiving end of that absolutely uh, vicious block because you could have just let them dribble the ball out or the clock out. That's your fault. Yep.
0: Yep, I absolutely agree with you, Ben. You know, it, it comes down to a respect thing. And if uh, you want to play to the final whistle like that, you you aren't okay with just, you know, ending the game on cordial terms, you absolutely deserve to have the ball slammed back in your face. And, you know, from there, that was where everything broke out with the fight and, uh, you know, Kansas players getting involved. Silvio D'Souza, uh, he, he went through a lot of uh, trials to just even – be able to play in this game because he was caught up in the the whole um, you know pay for play scandal, I think, involving like Nike and whoever, or not Nike, Adidas. Um, and he was actually initially ruled ineligible to play this entire season. But the NCAA gave him his eligibility back. So he's out on the court and he just kind of throws a lot of it away because he's now suspended indefinitely because he was was a big perpetrator in that fight. Brian, I I know you're not too fond of uh you know the way Bill Self in Kansas. Nope.
2: Yeah. Not guy I keep control of the players. Yeah. Uh he's definitely not my big I'm definitely not the biggest fan of him. And how that uh title game ended, uh when I was uh a bandwagon Memphis fan and I had them in my bracket and Mario Chalmers short uh, tore my bracket into pieces with five seconds left remaining in the championship. So yeah, I'm not a fan. So good for, so in other words good for Kansas State to retaliate and 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 uh you know have a good
1: fight. Well I don't know like it, it, I think it's reprehensible on both sides to like let that aggression go beyond the game um like you you can decide how you want uh, to think about those last few seconds but um you're always disappointed when the players lose control like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think every now and then it gives you something to talk about, but uh, that that just felt like so unnecessary in the first place when when the game should be over like that and the the players and you know, obviously it's a rivalry game, it's heated. These guys want to beat each other and get frustrated when you lose badly, but it's uh, you know it's it's not something that you want to see when you're involved with those institutions and a lot of guys are going to be uh, facing some punishments from that with the suspension. I mean, I,
2: luckily it wasn't anything like the. Pacers Pistons brawl where it was just never ending and guys were just legitimately suspended for the entire year like Ron Artest and got and fans throwing drinks everywhere Uh, I'm glad it wasn't like that chaotic but yeah still didn't look good
0: yeah um, I I don't I don't think we'll see anything that crazy for a while but uh, definitely one of the the bigger brawls we've seen in college basketball in a while. All right, so let's go back to the NFL. Just a, you know, a couple more takes here. So, the uh, the NFL is planning on trying out an onside kick alternative at the Pro Bowl this weekend. So instead of having to, so they're eliminating kickoffs entirely. All drives are going to start at the twenty five. In addition to that, instead of you know having to recover an onset kick, which has become increasingly difficult with some of the rules uh, to kick off to try to make it safer, teams will have the opportunity to essentially pick up a 4th and 15 in order to retain possession. So what are your thoughts on them doing this game and potentially Well, on, let's, let's be clear.
1: Let's be clear. Okay. It's a 4th and 15 from their own 25-yard line, um, yes. and then the ball would turn over from wherever the dead ball is after that.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So it's like basically, if you don't make it, the other team has amazing field position. Um, And uh, But yeah, I think this is a good idea at least to try it because it's clear that the current onside kick rules are broken.
2: If your name is Young-Wei Koo, you definitely hate this rule since he had three successful onside kicks in that Thanksgiving game versus the Saints. If you're Brandon Bostick, you would have loved for this rule to come in place before his career ended. Uh, I'm a, And like you said, Ben, I'm I'm with you. I'm a fan of giving it a try. and Because whenever you see an onside kick, and if your kicker, again, is not Young-Wei Koo... It, more times than not, a lot like nine times out of ten, it's it's not going to happen. It'll it won't get far enough, or the ball will go out of bounds, or it'll be successfully recovered by the defense. A lot a lot of times, it's not going to come through. You you you're basically barely holding on for hope that you actually get the ball back. But with the fourth and fifteen, I think your chances improve uh, just a little bit. I, I think it's like a 50-50 closer to 50 50 shot of actually getting it
1: well it just feels like a more football way to to do it I, I don't really know if it's good enough though because fourth and 15 there are some teams that are really good at getting 15 yards like i I don't know like it, it seems like maybe this would uh make a really good offenses overpower the Chiefs. the chiefs
2: would be all for it yeah
1: sure um and again it, it's a pretty big uh price to pay should you not convert um but at the same time if, you, if you're good at that if that's something you do with consistency like you know, great consistency, then um, it could break the game.
0: Yeah, I will say that is one of my concerns with this, but I'm all for anything that makes onside kicks more realistic because they went from 20% chance of recovery to like 8% with the new rules. And I, I remember reading a statistic that picking up uh, you know, 4th and 15 equivalent is about 20%. So that would get us back to the old stats. So if that's what it takes, then great. That would be cool to see them do something just to, to give the other team an actual chance of recovering it if they're not going to make changes to the, on, to the kickoff rule that would make the onset kick an actual legitimate play. Because it, it, it should be something that should be difficult to do. You don't want it to happen every single time. But it should be realistic, not just like oh well. There's no chance of this actually working. So yeah, I, I like the idea of them trying out in the Pro Bowl, maybe even in the preseason before bringing it into the regular season. But I, I think it's something that uh, we we could definitely benefit from a change, and it's also a way that you're gonna you know be able to promote player safety and not you know take away from the reason why they were putting the kickoff restrictions in the first place. So, all right. Finally, let's uh, wrap up this segment with a bit of a a goodbye, old friend. As uh, New York Giants quarterback Eli Manning uh, plans to announce his retirement on Friday from the National Football League after uh, an illustrious career. You know, there you can kind of debate some of his. all-around accomplishments, but he does go into the record books as a two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, and uh, one of the, the greatest quarterbacks, at least in Giants history.
2: You said goodbye, old friend. I don't know if I would personally call him a friend for what he's done to the Patriots in two of his Super Bowl wins, but uh, yeah, pretty good career, and um probably a Hall of Fame career. I mean, I know he has a 500 record, but in the biggest moments, he did show up. And it's not only versus the Patriots. I remember against Ben's Niners in
1: the- He really NCAA. showed up when he, Kyle Williams muffed two punts. That was yeah, like Eli Manning showing is, up.
2: That is, a, that is a good point. But <laughs> <laughs> I no, mean, obviously Williams he played quarterback. Kyle Williams definitely gave, gave that game away, but Eli Manning also took some pretty big hits in that game and showed really showed his toughness. And- resiliency and so so yeah good good career and probably a hall of fame career as well
1: yeah and he gave us many good uh manning faces along the way um eli has hilarious reaction image potential um through all his days of playing so i'm definitely going to miss how silly he looked uh in still images but also yeah i mean can you Think of anybody else who's more of like Tom Brady's weakness than Eli Manning. Like that's so fun to have a guy who not only beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl but also did it twice. Like that is the the you know unarguable. Like Tom Brady is the goat, and this guy beat him twice in the biggest game. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Eli will always hold a special place in my heart because of those two Super Bowl wins. So whether or not he's a uh, inducted into the pro football hall of fame like he's he's a hall of famer in my book so well, and i
1: uh, i mean again i um i probably should know this but I, I don't actually know all of the things they take into account as being like a hall of famer does like his father and brother add anything to his argument as like just being related to them like it's definitely part of like a lineage of like football excellence um, I, I guess, I don't know if that really should add to yeah, it, I, but the fact that he's part I, I of this royal football family, I think, uh, makes it feel like you can't leave him out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I support him just based on those playoff heroics, but it really was just those two playoff runs, and he didn't really accomplish much outside of them. See, I don't, but... I don't know
2: if he should be a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying that he'll probably get in, because, especially because of what he did in those two Super Bowl years because yeah if you take those out yeah it was really just some average seasons or some good seasons but it's really the the two Super Bowls that really stand out
1: I mean there's something to be said about like being able to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for a really long time you know um like he yeah he had the record
2: or he he was on pace for the record for most consecutive starts uh in the NFL
1: yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of franchises that would have traded all the quarterbacks they had in that time for Eli Manning. You know, it's it's uh, durability is is important at that position.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think at this point, I don't know if I would necessarily say I would miss him because he certainly is not proven in recent years that he's capable of still leading an NFL team to greatness. Uh, but he, he certainly had some great moments in the past. I'm happy he's re- finishing his career at least at 500 and not below 500. So, all right, let, that will uh, wrap things up for our final take segment. And with that, let's do our five questions. So we actually have four listeners submitted questions this week. That is the the most that we've had uh, since we introduced this segment, which, of course, is only our third episode doing that. But uh, So the first one was actually one that I, I'm asking you guys, and that is, what artists have you been listening to the most recently?
2: That's a good question. Um, I would say maybe throw back to a little bit of Sum 41 and All-American Rejects. I've been listening to them a little bit. I know that they haven't really made a lot of like great recent music for some time now, like maybe 15 or even 20 years maybe, but I still like... Still like listen to the, some of the cl- quote unquote classics uh, of the early two thousands.
1: Oh yeah, dude. There's nothing wrong with revisiting some old uh, some older songs. I uh, have been listening to Bon Iver a lot lately, or you might know him as Bon Iver uh, if you just read his name phonetically. But he is very unconventional music at least for my tastes uh it's kind of more electronic and experimental and kind of mysterious and lots of vocoder which is the real reason i've been listening because i definitely enjoy a little bit of vocoder uh in my music kind of uh and that's what he does really well so um i actually my friend made a playlist um, called Bonnie Bear, because that's what I thought he said when he t- was telling me about Bon Iver. Uh, so Bonnie Bear is a playlist full of Bon Iver songs that I've been listening to a lot.
0: Nice. Um, yeah, so, I mean, those are you know, some artists that I haven't listened to much recently uh, or really much in the past at all. But, uh, the, the reason why I asked this is because of an actual you know recent artist who's been making new music, just recently released an album that I've uh, I, I don't want to say discovered, but I've really gotten into and something I, I've talked to at least Ben about maybe Brian as well, and that's Halsey. Oh, yes, so yes, and I I, I know that this past weekend I it, I kept singing her songs, I kept playing them when we were we were getting ready for that party. Uh, but yeah, Halsey is just someone I, I've, I've always like like some of her music, you know, she's featured on a lot of songs. So like I knew who she was, but whenever I heard Graveyard for the first time last month on the radio, I was like, "Damn, I really love this song." And then from there I started uh, you know, listening more and more of her stuff. She comes out with this new album and there's so much uh great music on it and uh I I don't know. I'm I'm really becoming a huge Halsey fan, and uh you know, her album, I think, has, has a lot of uh, references to her recent breakup with G-Eazy. And, and when I've listened to some G-Eazy songs recently, who he's someone who I, I've always been a pretty big fan of. I'm kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know if I should like this guy anymore because I'm a big Halsey fan <laughs> now. So, um, but yeah, you know, this, she's, she's been uh, someone who I, I would never really would have expected to become such a big fan of. But yeah, she's, she's uh, slowly becoming one of my favorites in the game right now. So if you haven't listened to a new album, definitely recommend checking it out.
2: Okay, so second question uh, from Brendan in Dallas. What is your favorite sport to watch?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I can I can take this one first because uh, he actually asked this to me. This is our first um, Twitter-received question. And, you know, favorite sport to watch is definitely football on TV. Um, I, I think that's – if I had to guess, that's going to be all three of our answers. I don't want to go, you know, spoil anything. But my favorite sport to watch in person, you know, while football seems like it, it probably should be the answer – I kind of want to give a shout out to baseball just because I think the experience of watching baseball on TV versus in person is so great compared to some of the other sports. Uh, And I, I just love like when you're at a baseball game, it's, the slowness of the game makes it so much more social where you can just kind of like hang out, talk to each other, you know you're kind of mindlessly watching the game you're, you're drinking some uh, some beers with your your friends, your family, whoever you're there. A lot of times you you're going to games in the summer when it's nice out and you're just really able to get outside and just enjoy yourself for a few hours. And it also helps that most of the games I've been to have been at Fenway Park, which is a place that I, I really hold dearly in my heart, a very historic American uh, baseball park. So um, I, I think I might say that baseball is actually my favorite to watch in person.
2: Yeah, so for my favorite sport, yeah, I will answer it based on what is my favorite sport to watch not name football because, yeah, football is also my top answer. Now, in terms of watching person, yeah, you basically said it uh even though i'm down on the sport lately i still love going to games and and socializing with you and and others uh and yeah family park is is a great place to go to watch baseball so in person it's baseball but uh on tv outside of football just not to give the the common answer i do love hockey late especially later in the year in the playoffs uh i think in my mind maybe college basketball too but uh it's the biggest jump from regular season to playoffs. The pace gets so much better. It gets more physical. And just hearing all the injuries that get reported after the the playoffs are en- are ended, um, what the players go through to win a Stanley Cup is remarkable. Uh, so I will go with hockey, just, just to be different.
1: Well, I actually, like no caveat at all, I, I put soccer as my favorite sport to watch. Uh, Because soccer is nonstop for 45 minutes. Then you get a restroom break and snack break, and then you're right back to it for another 45 minutes. And I mean, really, the sport I love to watch the most is whichever one of the teams that I hold dearly is doing the most important stuff. Football, you know, meshes well with my life as an East Coast American. The games are on when I can watch them, I'm not at work, and they're on when other people are ready to watch as well so it's a social thing too football is easy to be the sport that i watch the most and also the 49ers are my favorite team so obviously i'm going to watch that they're my favorite team of any sport so obviously i'm going to watch them too but if i'm just looking at it from a pure like what sport do i think has like the best system for viewing um on tv it's for me it's definitely soccer um because you can really just kind of stare at the screen for 45 minutes straight and there's action the whole time and then you get a break and then you're right back to it um, not quite as many ad breaks as football. And it's uh, for me, it's just easier to stay, you know, immersed in the game itself. Um, but yeah, so in in person again, it just depends on who's really uh, who's playing. But I also really like soccer. I've never been to a sporting experience quite like when I saw a Premier League game in England. So, um, and it's just a whole another animal football another game i love to see live is kind of harder to keep track of in person i'll be honest oh, yeah. like there's there's 20 times where you're like wait what just happened why is it a first down there's you no know? yellow
0: line on the field in person
1: Exactly. And I don't want to sound like an idiot. Like, I obviously know what's going on, but there's cer- certainly times where um, the home audience v- benefits from a angle that just never makes it to the jumbotron. And uh, you, you, some, you might be curious to find out as a person who witnessed it live. Um, so soccer is my favorite sport to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, as someone who's anti-commercial, that's that's not too surprising. I think I, a lot of big soccer fans that I've talked to would probably say the same thing because of the non-stop action for forty-five plus minutes. But there there is times where it's nice to have those little built-in breaks when you want to, you know, go get a snack, go to the bathroom, go get a new drink, um, and especially in a sport like soccer where it's like, oh, if I turn away for ten seconds, I'm gonna miss the the most exciting thing that will happen in ninety minutes. So. Uh, definitely
1: I, and yeah. there's definitely like if my answer wasn't wishy-washy enough like obviously i enjoy watching a multitude of sports yeah um but i think soccer takes the cake
0: and uh best sport to watch the final two minutes basketball basketball you get
1: 30 minutes of just aha uh,
0: foul oh timeout oh man all the intensity
1: <laughs> so all right on to our next question and this one comes to us from colton from columbia colton asks why was Rob Lowe wearing an NFL hat during the NFC Championship game? So yeah, obviously you guys just, know he. I don't, he was a big I, I, meme. I'm,
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess he was not a Niners fan. He's not a Packers fan. He just loves a good old fashioned hard fought football game. Maybe he just loves, uh, how maybe he was a fan of the refs. Maybe he was good. Maybe he's a fan of uh good called games as well.
0: He's a fan of the shield, you know, big, big Roger Goodell guy. Just you know, he really, really appreciates the, the sport. Um, you know, definitely was not just placed there by Fox to promote his show. Nine one, one, you know, wearing this <laughs> NFL hat. Cause he has no allegiances. That's the only reason why he's at the game. It's like, I, I don't know what happened. He you just show up for 10 minutes just so he can be in this like one little spot there and then be like, all right, you know, you can get out of here now. Thanks for wearing the hat we gave you. It's just, you know, so I I remember um, in Super Bowl forty four when the the Colts played the Saints, Colts played the Saints is twenty ten, and the game was on CBS. And one thing that CBS did uh, as part of a little promo was they put Barney Stinson in the crowd. You know, a character from How I Met Your Mother holding up a sign that was like it had his like phone number as a like call me or text me whatever, and. The next day, in the new episode of How I Met Your Mother, they they played into that like it was a thing that actually happened. It was all part of the script, uh, you know, part of the show. But what Fox said it was just, "Oh, watch the show after the game. Here's Rob Lowe." what
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's actually that is awesome i did not know that yeah it was really cool that that's an amazing promotion and yeah i guess to bring it back to before you 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 said that i'm anti-commercial and for the most part i am but you can still make a great advertisement uh and convince me to watch something because you did a good job of promoting it That Barney Stinson thing, that's good promotion. Rob Lowe, I am, like, a generic NFL fan, (laughs) not good promotion at all. Like, here's the thing. Just don't have him wear the hat. Just point and be like, hey, look, Rob Lowe is here. That's all you need. But for him to, like, like, firmly straddle the line and be like, ah, yes, but also notice I'm not cheering for either team. I, like... F- the and the National Football League. I'm more of a fan of like the administration and the and uh, the commission yeah, than anything right. else. Like- <laughs> <laughs>
0: he is, uh, I guess, looking at his Wikipedia. There, there's no connections to San Francisco. There's no connections to Green Bay. It, it just they just put him there i i don't know did he want to go to this game is he an actual just like big nfl fan or was it like hey rob how much do we have to pay you to be in the crowd like we want people to stick around and watch the game after the post-game celebration you know
1: honestly for me it's kind of made me want to get an nfl hat it's an interesting topic to uh like declare your allegiance or not uh people i you know again, I listened to a lot of 49ers podcasts and one of the hosts went to, uh, he lives in DC and he went to a Redskins game against a different team and he wore his Niners stuff anyways. And he was like, is that something you should, Oh, sorry. No, he went to a bills game and he was like, dressed up as a Niners fan. He's like, uh, should I be doing this or not? And people had different answers. They're like, yeah, you're not an, you're not an NFL game. You don't live near your team. You know, wear your Jersey while you can. And other people were like, no, everyone hates the guys that show up in a different yeah. team's Jersey. Um, so, I think it would be a major flex if you are just going to an NFL game and you are definitely not a fan of either team to just wear the NFL hat and be like, "Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm neutral here," so I can kind of respect the idea Rob Lowe is going for here. Like, I think maybe after this, that hat becomes an option, but in the moment, I am like, "Oh God, this is just corporate advertising. We'll appeal to as many people as possible." And notice that really no NFL fans are fans of the NFL; they're fans of their team. Yep. Yep. You know, and they kind of hate the NFL. If anything, the no fun league, the the Roger Goodell commissioner booing. Um, that's it's almost preposterous to think that someone would just def, def, uh, default to saying that. I just love the league.
0: Yeah, I I always love seeing uh, just like random jerseys in the crowd that have nothing to do with the game being played um uh, not not totally random but one of my favorite jerseys i saw uh was a little spot on tv this weekend was someone wearing a dolphins ryan Tannehill jersey at the chiefs <laughs> titans game <laughs> like i don't know it was just oh I'll, I'll save some money by buying the old Tannehill jersey <laughs> so all right uh ne- next next question justin from greenville asks what are your thoughts on the latest star wars trilogy now that the sequel has been completed so, I mean, I'll come out and say, I haven't seen any of the new Star Wars movies. I've never been a huge Star Wars fan. Brian, have you? Because I know Ben does.
2: I have never watched a Star Wars movie in my life. Okay. So that was, okay, well, this that be was a short, what I short.
1: This would be a short one then because uh, obviously if you haven't seen it, you can't really have an opinion on it. The Star Wars trilogy... Now that it's been completed, we can know for a fact that Disney came into this with absolutely no plan. It was a complete cash grab, and it was a horrible waste of our time. And it may have irreparably damaged the Star Wars uh, saga as we know it. Um, It's very frustrating. It's very uh, disappointing. And uh, this ninth movie, while it wasn't the worst of the three... Uh, had too great of a task ahead of it to try to repair uh, what this new trilogy was what the eighth movie did to Star Wars is uh, like I said almost irreparable and the ninth movie couldn't do enough to save it um, if you haven't seen Star Wars like you two guys I can't really make a great argument for starting now. Uh, it was it was cool. It was cool to be part of the phenomenon. I've always been a Star Wars fan, and I think I'll always like Star Wars in general. But uh, w- with the way that these movies were mismanaged, I can't, in good faith, advise anyone to go see them because that's just rewarding Disney for their negligence. Uh, it, it's unfortunate how disappointing they were.
0: So I'd been under the impression for a while now that J.J. Abrams was like this great savior. Of I don't know if it was the Star Wars franchise in general or what uh, was this? He did the seventh movie, right? He did the original the this trilogy.
1: Yes, and I mean from my perspective, I mean I don't want to talk too long about this because I I literally did multiple podcasts on these movies on Affable Chat. Like if you really want to get in depth, we can't. But I. In the seventh one, J.J. Abrams did a great job. A lot of people thought the new trilogy started off with a lot of potential, um, but the seventh movie was a nostalgia trip. It was, remember the Millennium Falcon? Remember Han Solo? Remember Lightsabers? Like, it was just a lot of fan service, but it with the two movies that were promised after it, you felt like it was a safe way to start and to tell a, a new story of Star Wars. And now that we have the 8th and the ninth movie, we can see they didn't have a plan at all. Their plan basically was to sell nostalgia uh, and hope that that's enough to satisfy Star Wars fans. And for a lot of people, it actually is. To my disappointment, there are plenty of people that do not care that the story makes no sense and and undoes a lot of things from uh, the first six movies. Um, They just love seeing Star Wars lightsabers and everything. So they're like, it's a good movie because it's Star Wars, um, which those are the people Disney he's really selling to but uh, for people who actually like put some thought into star wars and and thought the lore was was you know solid uh now you know it's not because disney owns it
2: all right last question is from john from providence who is your favorite
1: mario character
0: uh, so this is actually the, the second week in a row that we have a question from John from Providence. Uh, I, I wasn't actually planning on having the, uh, at least the same person go back to back. I'd like to have a lot more variety uh, in our question askers. But on Monday, Ben and I played a ton of Mario games. We played Mario Party, Mario Kart, and you know, Super Smash Bros., which is beyond just Mario, but still Nintendo. Um, on the Nintendo Switch. So that got me, oh, this is actually a fun time to answer this question. So Ben, I'd actually like you to go first on that one because you were dominating all those games.
1: I am a big time Waluigi guy. Um, This is a little bit of like the like little brother syndrome because um, I have an older brother and I played a lot of video games with him which you would think would relegate me to luigi but i actually played a lot of mario party as a kid uh with another pair of brothers and my i i would never get even mario or luigi i was stuck between wario and waluigi and i didn't want to be wario so i picked waluigi and uh, as a exclusively multiplayer character i kind of love that he's so unimportant it's kind of what makes me like him is that he's just nobody So, Waluigi, that's my favorite Mario character.
2: I'm not a huge Mario fan, but I do like uh, the Mario Kart and Mario Baseball. Um, I'll name a couple of my favorites in Mario Baseball. I love Waluigi as a pitcher. He's like Randy Johnson, but as a cartoon.
0: Dontrell Willis. Or Dontrell Willis. Right.
2: (laughs) Exactly. The leg kick. Right. And then I've always liked Yoshi. Uh, Just very fun to use in the mario games and and especially mario baseball a uh, very reliable player so those are probably two of my favorites uh waluigi and yoshi
0: yeah so i mean a few months ago uh in honor of national video game day we did uh, our top five video games ever and mario Superstar baseball is my number one uh, that's a game that I've played every single year since it came out, and Waluigi has always been my favorite player on that. So I'm I was tempted to say Waluigi just like bended. but if I'm talking about all the games as a whole and not just that singular one, my favorite is Toad. Uh, I know that's somewhat of a, a basic answer beyond just your standard, you know, Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach, whoever. But uh, you know, Toad has always been someone who he's fun to use in like those sports games, you know, like Mario Baseball, Mario. Uh, Mario Kart or you know, Mario Tennis and Mario Soccer games, like Super Strikers. But I, I think he's just a fun, all-around character. It's someone that you see him and you're happy. Like, I love this guy. So um, I didn't to, expect Waluigi, Waluigi to get so
1: much clout in this, though. Yeah, like, right? you got to mention in all three of our answers. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he's
0: he's the, the forgotten character. But, I mean, if you're talking about Mario, Luigi, Wario, Waluigi, I think Waluigi is he's deserving of that, that top title.
1: Well, he is a, well, well, he definitely is a Mario brother and there's a lot of prestige with that. So, um, I'm glad we get to utter his name on he's done it.
0: Absolutely. So, all right, that'll, uh, wrap things up for this episode. So, uh, you know, Ben, I, I hope that, uh, you can enjoy this, uh, this stress-free week without football before, you know, next week picks up and it's even closer to the Super Bowl.
1: I mean I mentioned this to you before but last time the Niners ers in the Super Bowl I spent the two weeks prior to it just stressing oh man are we going to win or lose and um I mean obviously there's a little bit of that but I'm doing my best to just enjoy the fact that my team is one of the only one of two teams that's even worth talking about at this point of the year um I'm stoked you know I can't wait to watch the 49ers in the Super Bowl All
0: right so for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells I'm Corey Vaughn Thanks, everyone.